We're covering the in-season hit streaming series Midnight Mass today on Script to Screen. Kenyatta, Mark, and I discuss Mike Flanagan's latest work going into the themes, scares, and characters of the horror series. Remember, you're going to join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for an online screenwriters forum. Peer-reviewing scripts, getting feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our Anchor.fm profile to follow us online. We hope you can log in with us in one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. All right. So as always, I like to give a welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to the latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, Jeffrey Chang-Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and give screenwriter, filmmaker, film lovers perspective on movies and other various forms of media-related topics. Whenever you're giving us a listen in the morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues. We know the world is a little off-kilter at the moment, but we hope to be a part of the good stuff in your day with these in-depth discussion on film, TV, streaming, and other things we love. I'll start off with the intros. I have been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over five years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer review their screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always up with coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. And with all that settled, I'll pass it off to my co-organizer and good friend, Kenyatta. Hey, good morning. Uh, Been a a member of the Boston Screenwriters Group for about over five years, been a co-organizer for for three years and uh, just remind people to check us out on YouTube, Twitter and uh, <clears throat> Instagram and we do have a Facebook uh, group and very chock full of information for you inspiring screenwriters who want tips and what have you and we do uh, stream these conversations on our YouTube channel come check us out you will comment, like us, share us, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I'm Mark Lydell, a longtime Boston educator, lover of film. Uh, seemingly in a past life, so long ago, I was a member of a repertory group, theater group, uh, as well as participated in a number of uh, film school projects where I acted. Um, so I like to think of myself as a little bit of a thespian, even though um, those chops are a little bit dusty right now. But um, when I'm not watching movies, I'm talking about movies and that's what we're doing today. So I'm always glad to be here with you guys to talk about movies. And in this case, I guess a TV series. That's correct. We're switching it up a little bit uh, by talking about a sort of new uh, uh, bingeable series that just came on Netflix. Uh, so we're doing uh, the Midnight Mass. It was an online smash. Um, with uh, so it came on a few weeks ago to uh, to high acclaim and high, I guess, view rates on um, on Netflix. And uh, so yeah, we decided to give it a watch. It seems appropriate for this time of year. Uh, and we um, so it's the, uh, the latest series from Mike Flanagan, uh, who uh, previously did uh, Haunting of Hill House, which is uh, an outstanding series in my book. I really, I, I really thought it was a great, they did a great job adapting, um, adapting the classic to and updating it and now lengthening and uh, adapting it to a sort of a short series. But uh, so his latest now is, uh, is Midnight Mass sort of, uh, uh, Sort of in this in the same vein, it isn't uh, adapted from anything specific, uh, but there are maybe there are certain uh, uh, tropes. Maybe we'll get into that uh, that seem to uh, prop, uh, crop up a little bit. But uh, um, so the short synopsis is that a, a new uh, priest, a new a young uh, youthful priest, comes to this uh, secluded island off the coast of Washington. I want to say Washington State, and they. Uh, the the small community of maybe say uh, uh, say under fi- around fifty people or so of this island community uh, start coming uh, start seeing light they start seeing uh, they start being more engaged with uh, w- with what uh, is being taught in uh, every single uh, mass and every single um, uh, Every every single uh, uh, scripture reading uh, that happens daily, uh, but uh, things start 
start to get, getting strange. Uh, people start disappearing. Uh, there's weird things that are seen at night and uh, some uh, other sort of miracles, uh, if you will, have start happening around. And um, does anyone want to start off with sort of uh, initial uh, uh, initial thoughts on uh, Midnight Mass? And uh... Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say that, uh, well, first of all, I was watching it and I was, I was trying to figure out where this was occurring. And it wasn't until the end that I realized it was off of the coast of, of Washington state. Uh, and if I, you know, had known um, where it was, that would have really, really thrown me off because I, I was thinking at, at certain points in time, that this could be um, a, a Stephen King sourced piece. And it turns out that I think Stephen King did have something to do with this um, in some way, shape or form, if not providing the, the, the source material. Um, I don't know if he has a, uh, some kind of a, a product, production credit or whatnot on this piece, but um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of a lot of uh, Stephen King's uh, work that often happens in New England, uh, specifically, usually Maine. Um, and you've got this kind of small community um, that discovers something horrific is going on. Um, and this, this one, um, in terms of the discovery of what happens, I think it was masterfully done because I had, again, no idea what to expect for this. I had no idea what was going on until a few beats, probably a, a couple episodes into this, into seven episode series. So I'll just say that the first thing that kind of uh, <laughs> pulled me out of this was they mentioned at the very beginning that this is a community of 137 people uh, on this island. And they had like two huge ferries that went back and forth every day. That's kind of odd for such a small number of people. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed this series. There were moments when um, there were um, pages of dialogue that probably could have been edited down a little bit. But other than that, I like the 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 the, um, the aesthetics of the community. It looks like an old kind of fishing town. Um, and it made me, it, it, it sent me directly to that place. I believed in the characters and the setting. Um, I was immediately kind of pulled into this story and uh, I really appreciated it from beginning to end. Well, in terms of the, you mentioned some kind of Stephen King connection, all right? So I just finished watching another Mike Flanagan film that he adapted from a Stephen King uh, book. Uh, called Gerald's Game, and um, I watched it. Uh, I, I, I remember watching it when it first came out, but I never finished watching it. And I read some of the book a long time ago, but I never finished it. So I was like, okay, let me watch it. I watched it yesterday, so I'm a, it was actually pretty good. But <clears throat> there was a scene where uh, you know the lady's tied to the bed, and she there was a there was a book on a shelf above her. And she ended up knocking the book off the shelf, and the book was called Midnight Mass. So I was like, I didn't know quite. Did Stephen King have a, a, a you know, a book called Midnight Mass? I don't know. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh wow, they, you know. So there was like a Stephen King uh, influences all over Midnight Mass. So um, so so definitely has some Stephen King vibes. But apparently, it doesn't look like this is a dasher from any of his books. But I also thoroughly enjoyed this uh, series. And uh, you mentioned that the monologues, I think that um, I agree, but a lot of the monologues could have been cut down because uh, they were, I'm talking about extremely long. Don't get me wrong, I like a lot of the monologues, it's, but there were many of them that could have been you know, something I like, but it just went all oh, way too long. Like a lot of people are starting to call this a slow bird, right? But to me, I don't really consider it a slow bird. It's just that some of those monologues, many of them are way too long. And, 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 and uh, the content of the monologue in and of itself is good, but uh, sometimes it took me out of the story. So, like, I agree, it, you know, it could have been cut down because once. It's not even about the length of the 
of the dialogue. It's just that once you start tuning out, once you guys start getting bored and annoyed, that's where you say, oh, okay, you went a little bit too far with it. So, but overall, if, I mean, if it wasn't for that, I mean, it had two flaws. And that was one of them for me, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, I could, I could, I would have given it a better rating if it wasn't for that. So, yeah, I'll say uh, Gerald's game. It's interesting you mentioned that because uh, apparently there's a character in Gerald's game, Jobert. Uh, the Jobert character um, is in that, it's like a, 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 I guess, a, an entity of some some type. Um, in the the Midnight Mass series, at one point they they focus on a mailbox with the name Jobert on it, and the Jobert uh, character is the same character seemingly as the um, angel or vampire, if you will, uh, in this one. So there's a connection between Gerald's game and Midnight Mass with both the name and the character Jobert. And they have different roles. I guess they have, I guess they have different um, roles. Maybe there's a connection I don't know about with these two. But the name is there. The character is the same, uh, similar, same in appearance. Um, and it's just too much for it to be a coincidence. I think it's certainly in the Midnight Mass book you mentioned it draws the connection as well. So there's maybe there's something else. Maybe this is um, there's a piece in the middle we're missing. It'll be another movie or, or a series or something that connects these two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You definitely get uh, the Stephen King vibes from this. In fact, it's shocking that uh, it's not adapted from a uh, at least not directly adapted from a Stephen King work because you got the uh, secluded community and uh, alcohol alcoholism and uh, faith gone awry. Uh, you got a lot of like Stephen King sort of touchstones that right here that are sort of um, uh, there's uh, that are very apparent here. But uh, yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed this one as well. It's, uh, it's a nice uh, bingeable series. Uh, perfect again, perfect for this time of year. Uh, I watched it in perfect conditions, late at night with all the lights off, and uh, just uh, make it just to try and. Uh, uh, get the atmosphere just right, and uh, yeah, it's uh, perfect uh, for that sort of. Uh, uh, it's perfect for October viewing. A very, uh, very good part of Netflix to release this right in time for the haunting season, and uh, I think they they're seeing a good good return on viewership in that regard. Um, the yeah, so it's, I, I just had a thought, but it just whips whips away like um, whips away like the vampire in this one. So yeah, someone yeah. someone take away for a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, come yeah. back. Yeah, so but you, well, the vampire right. was supposed yeah. to be a, it was supposed to be a surprise. So like, uh, well, I guess if you know, because I saw it two weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure that uh, people who just now seeing it, it's no longer a surprise. But <laughs> that was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> oh, sorry, folks. Uh, yeah, again, this is always a spoiler. This is always a spoiler. We always try to, yeah, you know, like, you know, yeah. but, we always, but I mean, you can't really discuss it without talking about. I guess they don't ever say vampire; they say angel, and that's an interest. That's an interesting way because you know angels aren't really described in the Bible, and it's only sort of up to the uh, read, uh, readers or uh, uh, priests' uh, interpretation of what exactly an angel looks like. So I think that they're playing on that uh, at least. Plus, they had wings too. Mm -hmm. Usually, when we see vampires, they don't have wings unless they turn mm -hmm. to a barnacle. But he always had wings; it never yeah. went away. So, when they say angels, you know, you kind of the wings are there. Right, right. But uh, yeah, this, again, this is yeah. It's a very nice uh, seven episodes. I don't. I, uh, I yeah. We mentioned sort of uh, all the monologues and uh, uh, yeah. I think a few of them definitely could have been uh, trimmed down. But I, I think what they're going for at least is that everyone is giving their own sermon and everyone is giving their own outlook on where their life is at this moment and they're trying to impart that. You know, they're, so they're all trying to do sort of like this. Uh, uh, they're all just like the. Uh, 
the uh, 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 priest Pruitt, they're all uh, trying to do their own sermons and they're all trying to do their own sort of uh, uh, giving out their own outlooks of, of what uh, what they're thinking at the moment. Uh, and yeah, I perhaps a little bit trimmed down, especially with uh, when they uh, start talking about uh, their ideas of the afterlife uh, that, that definitely could have been trimmed down a little bit because we get a rehash of that at the, at the very end. But um, but other than that, yeah, very solid all the way through. I, I think this is sort of uh yeah mike flanagan sort of real bread and butter doing these sort of uh uh not uh, eerie in a way that's um not i don't i you know to go back on uh, uh candy man like i um uh i didn't i wouldn't say this is particularly scary quote unquote but the, it's just the ideas that are scary the idea of how easy it is to turn faith on its head and make it completely just uh uh cultish and uh violent and uh uh sort of uh, and uh and uh just um uh it will take on anything that doesn't conform to their uh to their beliefs at the moment but uh uh, yeah, it's more the ideas that are at play than I, and there are a few really good jump scares in this that really got me. Again, I watched this in perfect conditions uh, late at night uh, alone uh, with all the lights off. So there are a couple of jump scares that did get to me. And he, and my friend is pretty good at uh, like parsing out the jump scares and making sure that they get you right at the right moment. Yeah, you mentioned it's perfect for this time of year, and, and I'm a big horror fan, and I, for me, it's all, all it's often a great time to watch horrors this this month of the year. Um, and I'm always hoping that there's something new that comes out because there's there there there's um, Halloween's become Christmas like, and that they're the greatest hits that come out every year um, without fail. And you want to have something new added to it into the, the the canon, if you will. So I'm ha always happy for for new and creative and inventive horror. This is exactly it. Um, I. I did say that I was not um, thrown off at all initially by the Hamish Linkletter uh, makeup when he is playing the older version of himself. I said, oh, that's him right there. I can tell it's, that's who he is. Now, I didn't know that there's a vampire connection initially um, because this, this is, you know, within the horror genre. Maybe he found an elixir that made him younger. I don't know what it was that made him younger until um, we realized it was this this vampire slash angel whatever um but i was not fooled by him and i also was like okay that's elliot from et over there that, that's uh henry thomas obviously under all this makeup that's um very poorly done so i think th the idea is you're supposed to realize okay there's something funky with the makeup going on uh with those characters because it, i don't think it was really well concealed not that i shouldn't know that's who he is in terms of uh being the the iconic guy from et but if it's better done um you wouldn't realize that he something's gonna happen with him later on same thing with his wife and a few other characters with the makeup um is just so heavy or at least seemingly shoddily done that they're trying to let you know this is intentional um so i don't know if, if they could have done a better job at concealing that or they, they wanted the audience to realize something was going to happen with them I don't, I'm not quite sure, but if I were to do this, uh, I would make it a lot less obvious that there was bad makeup, that there was that there was uh, something going to happen with these characters going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's the other flaw because I I mentioned one flaw was the extremely long monologues, and the second flaw I think is at first I had problems with the casting until. Like it was slowly revealed that people were getting younger. So I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense why they did that. Because me and my wife was like, what the hell's going on? Why would they cast such a, a young person to play somebody old? And then when it was revealed that people were getting, you know, their fault of youth, you know, um, when that was happening, that whole phenomenon was happening. So all it makes sense. But the bad makeup, you know, like you said, it's like, it was so bad. It's like, wasn't intentional. Um, but to me, I think they still could have, they still could have, 
you know, uh, had an older actor play, you know, when they were old, what you know, the current state, and, and eventually, you know, uh, replaced them with the younger. I, I mean, that's what that's just my opinion. But now, but it makes sense why they did what they did. Uh, I think they should have did it better because it kind of takes you on the story a little bit that the makeup's so bad. It kind of reminds me of the head dudes and Tyler Perry movies. It's like it just becomes such a like a spoof, but uh, it kind of takes you out of the of the of the movie. So those are my only two flaws. But regardless of those two things, uh, you know, I just you know, like I said, I would give this a nine out of ten. Uh, right now, I'll give it like I don't know eight. So, but uh. Yeah, I I see exactly what you're saying about the makeup. Well, everybody who ever sees this, if you've ever seen it yet, uh, who ever seen it, will have the same, you know, observation because it's just so obvious. Yeah, the makeup work uh, probably, yeah, uh, probably needed a little bit, another, maybe another uh, go through or another uh, sort of, um, uh, or sort of another, another pass just to make sure. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I didn't know it was, uh, I, but I did realize, I did notice the makeup. I didn't realize for what end they were going to, it was going to be uh, sort of used for, but uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely some, uh, uh, some, some questionable, uh, makeup, uh, jobs going on in some cases, but, um, so, so, so yeah, uh, basically, I mean, maybe we should mention like uh, so, uh, sort of the rest of the story. The rest of the story sort of is uh, that happens sort of at the climax, uh, which I think is probably the best episode uh, in the series when the the minute when the titular midnight mass happens uh, and uh, sort of uh, um, the uh, the youthful priest is revealed to be the old, uh, you know, the old time. Uh, uh, priest at the, on the island, but uh, he went to the Middle East. He went to the Holy Land. He saw all the sites, and he took cover in a cave one night. And uh, there was this, as uh, as he interprets it, an angel in there. But uh, it looks very suspiciously like a uh, vampire or a uh, demon or something like or something of that nature. But uh, when it attacks him, it sort of gives him his uh, sort of uh, spares him by uh, by giving him its own blood, its own, and uh, it turns out that this blood is a very, this elixir like uh, heals you. It heals you of your worst ailment, I guess. Uh, and so it makes him younger and he returns home and uh, brings along this demon, uh, this angel, in order to try and um, change uh, change his own, his own congregation into sort of uh, uh, just like him. And, um, uh, eventually it does it changes a few it changes a few townsfolk but uh, uh, one in particular starts um, uh, starts uh, really uh, being strung along and being and really uh, believing in this to a uh, dangerous degree uh, that's sort of um, one of the main themes of the um, one of the main themes of the work is uh, just how you can twist faith and twist uh, belief into something just uh, uh, something ugly and something just uh, uh, very, um, very again very very dangerous. It puts you in a very dangerous mindset of uh, of anything that doesn't uh, doesn't share your beliefs or doesn't share your your thoughts is uh, you know not. Uh, uh, not worth, not worthy of, uh, uh, not worthy. Well, by the end, not worthy of living, but uh, not worthy of sort of uh, the same stature as yourself. But uh, in the, uh, so the 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 Bev Keen character, like uh, great, great, great villain. Uh, what, what a great villain role! Uh, and I'm, and I'm sure. Uh, a, a very avid Fox News viewer as well, because there's uh, there's certain I, there's certain things you can read into her behavior and her attitudes towards uh, uh, towards other people not of her faith and other people that don't look like her that uh, that are very apparent in uh, today's society. So that's um, uh, that, that's there's certain uh, it, it's a great uh, catharsis. Uh, what happens? Uh, 
what if it uh, what eventually happens to her it's a, again uh it's a great role a great character uh a great villain that you just hate uh, hate to watch all the time uh, that to see seeing her go through her sort of downward arc right the bev king character is played by samantha sloyan i mean and this is <laughs> a masterful job and it's something that we've also uh, come to expect and Again, going back to the idea of Stephen King, he always, he always finds individuals who can play these zealot roles extremely well. Um, and she's one of those. Um, it's almost like, you know, she's as big a villain as the angel slash vampire. Um, she's as big a villain as just what's looming for the town, right? She, she comes to kind of represent um, the very worst of what religion can become and often is for those who um, kind of pursue it blindly without any uh, willingness or ability to um, question. I guess that's faith, right? You don't really question it, but you know, here's the danger in not questioning it. You know, those who are the, the um, I guess, purveyors of the religion and those who uh, spread it or, or bring the gospel, whatever that gospel might happen to be, um, you're going to drink it in its entirety without questioning it. And this is what happens, right? So um, as the story goes, um, either even the, the Catholic Mother Teresa had her doubts, but she never really expressed that much in her lifetime. But faith requires moments of doubt. And the folks in this uh, series well, Bev, at least, doesn't have moments of doubt. She, she kind of dives uh, into um, the, the teachings of Father or Pastor Hill, um, Monsignor, without question whatsoever. And this is the end result. This is what happens. As you mentioned, it's a, it's a Fox News-esque kind of take on uh, religion where you, just, you don't question at all. You can't afford to question because it means that your faith is not strong if you do that. So I, I would say she is, for me, the standout in this series. Um, of course, uh, Hamish Linkletter was, was great as well. Um, and then I guess the female lead in this is the wife of the director, Mike Flanagan, who's been in, in a number of his projects, including uh, Bly Manor, uh, Hill House, uh, um, was it Oculus? I'm, I'm, she was in Gerald's Game too. Gerald's Game, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's, um, yeah, a little nepotism there, but she still, you know, uh, holds her own. She's still good. Um, but again, the Samantha Sloyan for me kind of carried the whole piece. Now, to you know talk about the Stephen King connection if we look at the adaption of the film The Mist okay there was a character just like her played I cannot remember her name right now but uh if you ever see the movie The Mist it saves that character she was very you know dogmatic in her behavior and people were beginning to follow her that's how charismatic she was and those two uh characters in the best and here are very similar and very well acted by uh each actor there's actually a lot of uh good acting uh it, 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 you know in this series uh including uh the priest and um so <clears throat> excuse me but uh what i was gonna say is that uh, there's a lot of dogmatic behavior and it reminds me a lot about society today because you can be dogmatic about religious religion, you can be dogmatic about politics, and uh, and you can see how dangerous it is in this film where you don't, you leave no room for kind of questioning things, you just follow things blindly where where that can lead. I think pretty much that's the theme of this part, one of the themes of, of the series. Now, and I, and I think that's kind of like going on society today. You know, you have, uh, you know, people who uh, have just different opinions about different things. I'm not even going to get into it right now, but, you know, there's hot topics in, in today that people can, you know, they can uh, display a lot of dogmatic behavior. And uh, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. Uh, there's a lot of confirmation bias that's just happening. 
both and it's serious and you can kind of see it in society today. But um, yeah, yeah, and I, I agree she is a stand-up performance and uh, the guy who played the father, uh, he was, he, I think he was, a, you know, he did a fantastic job. So kudos to the actor overall this whole series. Yeah, Kate Siegel is, uh, she's Aaron Green. Uh, she's sort of, uh, uh, at first you think it, it, there's going to be uh, another sort of uh, uh, religious imagery with the, uh, the the virginal birth and all that, but uh, that, uh, that that doesn't happen. That uh, subverts expectations. Uh, she, she is with child in the beginning, but then uh, after drinking the, the elixir, it in fact uh, attacks her womb and attacks the... Uh, uh, there and it uh, causes her to not be pregnant anymore. Uh, but um, it, uh, yeah, yeah, she's she's always great. And uh, <laughs> as you said, in the, in her husband's uh, work, uh, yeah, Hunting a Phil House and uh, other and other of uh, of his movies. Um, yeah, this yeah, this is a great. This is I would say a pretty great ensemble cast. But yeah, the the two standouts are uh, Hamish Linklater and. Uh, Oh, and the uh, uh, what was what was Bev, what was Samantha her Samantha Sloyan? Thank you very much. And yeah, the two standouts there, um, uh, sort of um, the uh, the two faces of uh, faith in this community that uh, are unfortunately corrupted and uh, and uh, turned into something. And uh, uh, the priest gets a little bit of redemption at the end, uh, but. Uh, perhaps but uh uh there's no redemption for for bev uh uh there's uh there's uh she's uh she's cowering at the end and it's almost yeah you feel this sick satisfaction uh when finally the oh we should say the uh the main the uh the main thing that happens is that yes this elixir will heal you it will it will make you younger. It will uh, give you back your legs if you're uh, paralyzed from the waist down. But uh, if you if you're if you were in any direct sunlight, you will burn to a crisp, just like uh, the ancient legends of, uh, of vampires and Dracula. But um, so you will have to. You cannot be. You have to be indoors by sunrise. Otherwise, it's uh, it's a barbecue. So um, by the end. Uh, uh, by the end, uh, the the town is set ablaze, and, you know, and this it's a great image actually. The, the entire island ablaze, uh, all the homes, the church eventually gets uh, gets burned down, and everything. So there's nowhere to hide anymore for the townspeople that are now inflicted with this uh, uh, with this elixir. And now, when the sun rises, uh, yeah, everyone, everyone, uh, everyone, everyone except for uh, except for two kids who were able to escape on a little canoe in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the ocean, all uh, uh, all die and all all burn to a crisp. And, uh, uh, and, you know, some, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like uh, with old, uh, you know, some of them accept their fate and they, they sing a hymn uh, all together as the sun rises and they know that it's going to be the last sunrise and others like Bev, uh, they just cower, they isolated. They try, she tries to dig a, a hole in the sand to try and escape from the sunlight, uh, which was actually my idea. Why don't you just uh, dig a hole somewhere and try to cover it up with, uh, um, with something? But uh, I guess they didn't have too much time to do so. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a very uh, very great ensemble. Nice, neat story. Um, uh, great. Uh, uh, great character, yeah, very, very well done. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's up there with me with Haunting of Hill House because that was more of a surprise of how good that was. And this is sort of uh, you have to follow that up with. And uh, Blind Manor was okay, uh, but uh, I think yeah, this is this is quite a bit better than Blind Manor uh, in my book. See, of those of those three, um, I I place this one above all of them, even above um, Hill House. Um, <laughs> only because I, I had some idea with Hill House that there's, you know, it's been done before, you know, this was completely new. I knew nothing about what to expect for this project, but also what was genius in this is the, is the connection or the usage of um, scripture to, to tie it to 
um, vampirism, right? I mean, because you talk, you think about uh, within, um, certainly, the, I'm not Catholic, but I, I know within the Catholic tradition, there's the Eucharist, um, there's the taking of um, wine and of wafer or bread to represent the body and the blood. Um, and if you're reading it and thinking about it literally, body and blood, that sounds just like, you know, vampirism, you know, attacking the body to distract the blood out of it to bring you everlasting life. That's exactly what, what vampirism is. And I, I wonder, you know, to what extent, you know, um, Bram Stoker thought about that in, in writing Dracula, that, you know, the blood gives life or the blood is a source um, if, if, if Bram Stoker was tied to religion and, and made that that connection, because that, that it sounds like they're they're like parallels. Um, so the way that they kind of wove in scripture to talk about everlasting life and blood, the idea that you know um, there's going to be no more death, uh, also an idea within Revelations, and if you're a vampire, unless you're out in the sun or um, get hit with a stake in the heart. I don't know if that's true of this this kind of lore and this story, but we know the sunlight does uh, kill them. Um, then there's there's everlasting life. You're gonna forever be um, as long as you are a, a vampire. So yeah, I, I just thought that was uh, amazing that they they drew those comparisons between religion and, and and vampirism, and it also also makes you kind of have a sobering kind of look at religion too, in the sense that, you know, well, what if this is correct? Not, not that there's real vampires, but what if, you know, um, this idea of everlasting life is not joyous, but horror. I, I just think about if the Fox News crowd, and I don't think they're right, but if, if the Fox News crowd is right about these kind of religious teachings and their adherence to them, the last thing I want to do is spend eternity with them, right? So that in that, in that sense, it, it is a horror story if I spend my, my, the rest of my eternity uh, with the Fox News crowd. So that in that sense, eternity is a horror story with or without vampires. And I, I, you know, I know we mentioned makeup before, but I have to admit, the, the vampire looked damn good in this series. I had to give a lot of kudos uh, the job they did yes. it just it was just very well done and um what else do i like and i know this is a small thing but i love the movie poster the poster to the series everybody noticed that everybody see the poster to the series it was kind of like yeah, a graphic yeah. novel kind of reminds you of priest i don't know if there's a Graphic novel called Priest. I think it was kind. Of, I think it was kind of cool, uh, the way it looked. Because I know in a past podcast we talked about movie posters. I think yeah, just preacher. Looking at that po- preacher is the, is the the poster, right? Right, right. I mean, that's the AMC series is based on. I believe is that the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, yep, it sure, yep, it sure is. And um, it kind of have like if you look at sales a lot too. It kind of reminds you of. The movie poster Sam's Lot a little bit, so that's like, I think, like I said, we're very influenced by Sam's Lot. Like, this is the Sam's Lot that we wanted, that we wanted in the first place. That, you know, I guess they tried back in, I think it came out in the eighties, but this is the real Sam's Lot that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. That eighty, that eighty Salem's Lot might, might have been nineteen eighty. I remember being a kid in school. Um, and it was a TV series. It was a CBS um, miniseries. It was on a series of nights um, back in the day when they'd have, you know, uh, two hours of a, a miniseries per night for like three or four nights in a week. And that was like must-see TV. Kids are struggling to stay up and watch that. This is the days before um, DVR, certainly, and even really before VCR, I believe. Well, maybe not. Uh, before VCRs, but before they were mainstream, everyone didn't have one. So people would stay up to watch uh, Salem's Lot. Um, and for its time, you know, it, it was interesting. And for a person of the age that I was, it was interesting, but certainly it can't hold a candle to the the, the effects, certainly of, of today and even the writing. But uh, I remember that vividly. Um, yeah, certainly the Salem's Lot we deserved um, much more than the previous one. 
this was 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 masterfully done. And another similarity too between the whole Jesus thing, angel thing, is the resurrection. Because you notice when somebody dies, you know they basically they come back to life just like a rebirth. So that's another connection with religion and the connection with vampirism mm -hmm. and a whole religious thing. It wasn't Jesus in a cave, like, you know, before he got resurrected. And here you have, uh, you know, the, the, the vampire he got from a cave. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm reaching, but it's just like little connections here. It's just kind of interesting. But the whole, go ahead. Yeah, it's certainly Lazarus in the cave also, the religious story, he's resurrected as well. Uh, so yeah, the, the whole idea of a cave and resurrection is, is prominent within Christianity. So it makes sense that this person would emerge from a cave, uh, resurrected or at least younger, uh, rejuvenated. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, the the angel comes right from uh, the the Holy Land, like you know, probably outside of Jerusalem. So I mean, there's definitely definitely a huge amount of connection there. Uh, in fact, I actually wonder maybe uh, maybe in one draft or maybe one thing maybe uh, the the parishioners or the priest to speculate. So maybe this is Jesus, and uh, maybe they were like, okay, that's maybe a little bit too <laughs> that's that's too much. Let's let's just say it's an angel instead of uh, saying that this is uh, uh, the reincarnation of Jesus. Otherwise, uh, we're going to get a lot of uh, uh, a lot of flack from uh, the religious community. But. Um, yeah, yeah, this is uh, uh, this 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 is very solid. There's a there's a lot you can read into sort of um, in um, sort of the uh, we start off with. It's interesting because we're talking about all, every character except for sort of the the main character that uh, starts us off. Uh, in fact, he's in the first uh, sort of segment uh, played by Zach Guilford Riley, and. Um, so he's going through his own sort of redemption arc. At least in the beginning, uh, he he went he went to Chicago. He went to Chicago. Uh, he he made a lot of money in stocks as a trader, and uh, as, a, as a sort of uh, well, it's not Wall Street. It's, it would be Madison Ave, but uh, Madison Ave sort of uh, um, uh, a stock trader and everything. But uh, one night he gets a bit too drunk, gets behind the wheel, and kills a girl and spends uh, the next few years in prison. And afterwards he has nothing left. So he has to go back to the, uh, we should say the name of the island, the name of the island is Crockett and uh, the Crockett Island off the, and his hometown. And uh, he sort of brings in the, the secular view of uh, sort of, uh, sort of it all sort of, uh, it's very, uh, very sort of in a dissolution way. Um, you know, it, it's the sort of the, the fall from grace sort of narrative, but uh, here it, there's sort of um, uh, there's 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 the there's the there's the idea that uh, uh, that uh, he's just completely uh, you know uh, now faithless and everything, and that's why he's. Uh, um, uh, and that's that's sort of his, but his arc. That's not really his arc. Is to find his faith again. It's just uh, his arc is actually to try and warn uh, warn uh, Aaron Green and uh, you know his former ex, uh, as it were, uh, of uh, the coming of the, of the coming danger, which is uh, interesting. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that uh, when I first, especially when you first see this character on screen. Yeah, again, I, I knew nothing about the story and didn't know what to expect. I thought it'd be, a, once we started off um, with that character, um, I guess you can call it even prologue for the main story. Um, I, I thought it'd be a totally different story. Of course, I never thought there'd be vampirism within it. Um, I thought it'd be more or less, you know, um, yes, religious zealotry gone amok when he goes back to this 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 home island of Crockett Island that somehow he you know would, would, would encounter cult which he did cult uh behavior almost like a midsummer or something like that some things have changed in some way and he has to save himself and others from that um but yeah it's funny he's we haven't we hadn't mentioned him as of yet and he was you know a, a dynamic uh character one who I think initially pushes the story along um 
uh, until it seemingly kind of changes hands. It's almost like there's a, do a double or a triple uh, uh, lead in the sense that there's um, his character, the Hamish Linklater uh, priest character, and then the, the female lead all kind of carry it through. Then we have the, 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 the spice of the Samantha Sloyan character that kind of adds the flavor to, to this as well. But um, yeah, wonderful uh, job by him. I guess it makes sense that his character is as kind of, for lack of a better term, um, kind of subdued in, 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 in his delivery. Uh, even when he has something of import to talk about, um, the fact that there are vampires now on the island, it's in a deliberate kind of slow um, um, way that doesn't really convey the horror, at least. I mean, if I believe there's vampires, you know, uh, on my island and I was attacked by one of them, I wouldn't approach uh, characters the way he did about it um, without giving, out too, giving too much away. Um, it's like, ooh, maybe the way he did it in terms of where and what it meant for his character made sense. But um, I'd have a lot more sense of urgency and I'd, I'd, I'd have a different disposition than, than he did have. So that was kind of odd that he had that kind of disposition when talking about um, the, the when revealing the, the vampires had made their way to the island. Yeah, something that you mentioned, Jeff. I also had Jesus vibes, but when they kept saying angel, right? So I was just thinking to myself, I was like, they changed that. It's like I really felt like they really want to apply. I think really felt they were applying kind of like that the, the whole Jesus vibe, but they couldn't say it, it could have, you know, it felt like they were holding back and they changed it to angel. Well, so, uh, that's something I noticed myself. Yeah, again, I don't know if it would, uh, I don't know if it was an version of the script or an earlier version of the uh, production, but then uh, maybe there was some uh, pearl clutching by Netflix. It's like, oh, let's let, let's turn it down a little bit. Just call it Angel instead of uh, you know Jesus. Let's uh, uh, <laughs> let's not, let's not send too many people here with uh, our depiction of uh, of a religious figure, but. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, that's that's just sort of the way I. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of half jokingly said it, but now I'm I'm sort of curious as to if there was a version of the script or uh, some at some time during production where they were just flat out saying that this was, uh, uh, this was Jesus returning to uh, to tend his flock. You know, this was uh, to help uh, to help Crockett Island, but um, but uh, I guess that's neither here or there now. But um, yeah, one, go go ahead. The no, one no, thing no, that was peculiar to me was the sheriff, right? I mean, the sheriff is um, a Muslim, somebody of Middle Eastern descent, and somehow, some way, he he makes his way to that island and um, becomes sheriff in, a, in an area that where at least some of the people, maybe even a critical mass with an island that small, um, aren't really excited about having <laughs> uh, this person of this different hue and religion there on the island. And I just, it's just kind of odd because I think about um, being in many situations, especially where I work, being other, um, I don't think you really search or seek a place where you're the only one, especially um, when there could be some hostility toward you. Uh, I just thought, thought it was kind of odd that he would not just be there, but also somehow some way become the sheriff, uh, be the authority figure in that town. Well, they made it known that they didn't have room for his religion. <laughs> I, you know, because there was a scene where he kind of questions, like, you know, you have people with different beliefs, but automatically, you know, you have this one belief that kind of overrides any everything else. So, like I said, they made it known that, you know, there's this one religion and there's no room for any other beliefs. 
yes, the uh, uh, another great, another good, very good character uh, that sort of adds a uh, sort of adds much needed perspective is the yeah the Sheriff ha- uh, Hassan character by by uh, Ro Cooley. And um, yeah, and of course, everyone calls him Sharif uh, because uh, they, we have to, um, <laughs> they have, they, they can't, they of course can't call him by, uh, they don't want to call him by his official title. They have to uh, sort of, um, uh, uh, they, they have to sort of mock it in a sort of, uh, sort of way. But um, yeah, he provides a much needed sort of perspective, sort of like the, um, the uh, and there's of course there's another there's a great scene in the in the schoolroom which is very you know uh, again very uh, uh, reminisce uh, sort of uh, draws parallels to uh, real life with uh, how you know uh, teaching faith in public schools and uh, how yeah that's 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 not really it's not really good for the people that aren't of the same faith and that uh, that do have to go to the same uh, that do have to go to the same school as uh, the other kids and. Uh, uh, that's it's a very yeah it uh, um, yeah and another yeah again it's just a great on it's a great ensemble from uh, from top down uh, just providing this different perspective into this very insular very isolated community and just showing how uh, whenever if you start adding in a very uh, a cultish feverish sort of devotion to uh, uh, to fit to anything no way in this case it's religion and uh, faith but faith devotion to anything you start uh trimming out uh, the members that don't fit that uh that don't fit that worldview that don't fit that perspective just yeah. uh, thinking about a person being otherized and being a person who in certain situations is otherized if certain things begin to happen and, and you know your kind of spidey senses go off the like, wait, wait something's wrong here i'm getting out there's no, I'm not I'm not waiting around to figure out what's happening, right? It's like that whole horror kind of cliche that a black person, if you're not the first one killed, you're the first one out the door. You're not waiting around to figure out what's going on. So I, I would have, you know, title of sheriff or not, I would have been gone when I realized something funky is happening around here. I mean, he also stated the character that uh, how similar there's basically it's just different names like yeah you know you may call God God they call it Allah you know they they you know Muslims they believe in Jesus it's like very there's a lot of similarities but they weren't hearing it they was like they didn't care about similarities it's just our our you know our our brand of Christianity and, and, and that was it and. And um, I noticed too that um, you know they they had these stereotypes that have built being Middle Eastern and you know they worry about terrorism. It's like they still not you know kind of like you said that Fox News type of uh, talking points and rhetoric. I'm like it got to the point where this guy doesn't even carry a gun, so he's trying hard to kind of like you know say hey you know I'm I'm not you know the stereotype of you know, what you have with Middle Eastern folks, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, and he finally, he finally, I mean, he, he, he didn't carry a gun, he has a gun, and it's like, I'll laugh at my wife, he's like, well, he finally needs the gun, he has a gun, he has the the, the, the most whippiest gun he ever seen, you know, like, come on, man, <laughs> you know, if you're going to bring out a gun, bring out with a real gun, he really, you know, um, Excuse me. You think about a sheriff should have a gun, right? Even as a sheriff, he was like, I don't need it. You know, but um, somebody, they still look at him as pretty much kind of like the stereotype, you know, uh, Muslim terrorists. Right. I mean, there's a speech, you know, another monologue, another long monologue, but this one was, was pretty good uh, that uh, explaining sort of his backstory that he was in New York and during 9-11 and then he went to the police force to try and, you know, subvert the stereotype of the, the traitorous Muslims and, you know, they're, they're all the insurgent Muslims and all, and all that that were in America, especially around that time. But he found out that, uh, you know, uh, New York police force isn't really uh, inclusive. It, it's not re- at least it, uh, especially around then that uh, you just, um, 
instead of sort of helping out, uh, he was like, he was spying on mosques. He was spying on other uh, uh, other uh, the Muslims and other Arab, Arab looking kids, uh, just to, you know, uh, under suspicion of being terrorists. And uh, he just said, "I'm out." And then he went to this went as you know he went as far as he could uh, to this little secluded island. As soon as as soon as he heard of it, and uh, and uh, now, but uh, then he explains that's the reason why he's uh, very. Uh, He's very uh, weary of investigating the church uh, on the island because uh, it will put too much uh, it'll put too much heat on him if he starts, you know, uh, someone that someone that looks like him, someone that uh, uh, starts uh, looking into the church. Uh, well, fortunately, by that time, it's already kind of too late. But uh, it's uh, again just providing perspective into how. Um, uh, uh, how he uh, how he has been how he has coped and how he thinks about things. But uh, like I said, Mike Flanagan, uh if we were to do any recommendations, like we mentioned, uh, Gerald's game, uh, Haunting of Hill House. I never finished watching My Banner. Maybe I'll give it a try. I you know all of those three series that he's made. I think that was my least favorite one. The Honey Hill House was incredible. Uh, this one, like I said, besides the flaws, and the funny thing, those flaws could have been easily corrected. And uh, But I'll forgive it because it's so good, I'll forgive those flaws that kind of, you know, knocked it down a little bit. Because, uh, you know, like I said, it made it boring when it didn't have to. But uh, it's still a very good series, and uh, he's one of, I mean, he's doing some great work. Uh, looking forward to see him doing more. I didn't see Oculus, but it was so long ago. Uh, I think I'm gonna rewatch that, but uh, from what I recall, I you know, it, it was a decent film, so I'm gonna watch that again. I think other people uh liked it as well, but I'm gonna rewatch that because I'm becoming a fan of this Mike Flanagan's work. Yeah, and I would just say I, I, I second all of that and I think what has become apparent to me now with these three series um, is that this format, the, the, the series format um, adds a lot of depth to, to horror. A lot, in many cases, horror is seen as a, a throwaway genre where there's just, you know, gore or kills or jump scares and what we have with this is you're able to kind of flesh out characters uh, and still have some horror elements to it. Uh, I think that is for me, it, I think this is becoming um, preferred in, in, as opposed to watching movies because movies, uh, horror movies, even though I'm a huge fan, uh, are so reliant upon cliches and tropes that you really can't squeeze in there enough character development in a lot of these movies because you're going off of types, right? And and this one really, you know, yes, the monologues were deliberate and maybe even at times too lengthy, um, but at the same time, uh, you're able to develop characters fully and understand their motivations. And it makes the story that much richer where it's not just about, you know, um, racking up kills it's about um story and and uh in this case you know even characters being able to reflect and talk about um like the 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 sheriff character talking about their backstory or talking about the 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 origins of of um uh, father hill uh, becoming who he has become toward the end of the movie this kind of a vampire i just think uh this mini series format serves good horror well i, I, I want to see much more not just from flanagan but also much more attention to uh series format for horror as opposed to these kind of one-off 90-minute movies on netflix that sometimes don't give you enough meat on those bones mm-hmm. well it, yeah it- I mean, sort of uh, religious, uh, religious oriented horror has been around, uh, you know, since time in Moriam, I, I pretty much, uh, whether that's in uh, 
uh, novel form or uh, even uh, movie form. Probably the most prominent is The Exorcist, uh, you know, with uh, sort of the uh, uh, the visceral nature of um, the visceral nature of evil and how it uh, permeates uh, itself. How can it manifest? But uh, here it's a little bit more. Uh, instead of just like the real sort of uh, uh, visceral and uh, uh, really uh, uh, really pointed uh, horror with uh, something like The Exorcist or, or, or The Conjuring movies, even uh, they do definitely do have religious uh, iconography. But uh, here it's much more subdued. It's much more the ideas that are uh, the, the ideas that are scary. The idea of how easy it is to sign it, to uh, turn to turn faith on its head and make it into something that's completely just uh, just awful and just uh, unbecoming and uh, just uh, unwieldy. But, um, and yeah, I think uh, yeah, Mike Fallon is turning into probably one of my favorite showrunners. Uh, well, I, um, uh, Dr. Sleep was kind of a, a miss for me, uh, but uh, uh, I think that suffered a little bit from uh, just the movie runtime and uh, sort of the expectations of him. But uh, his series so far have really uh, knocked it out of the park from uh, Haunting of Hill House onward. And he seems to have a good working relationship with Netflix. Uh, and it looks like we're getting a uh, uh, fall of House of Usher from him, uh, sort of based on the Edgar Allan Poe work. So uh, very looking forward to that and seeing what he does with that. Um, yeah, very easy. He's a very, very fine, uh, very interesting filmmaker to watch. Uh, definitely recommend uh, all of his stuff that's on Netflix. Um, and I, uh, yeah, it's everything that Mark said, sort of the um, the ability to sort of do much more character work with these uh, long form series. And I think that's the real, uh, that's the real draw to these, that you're able to uh, play around with your characters a little bit more. You're able to flesh them out. You're able to make them, uh, really feel like uh, feel real like flesh and blood characters rather than just plot points going to you know uh, scene one through scene 30 or something like that you really feel like these were uh, real human characters and they had uh, real perspectives and real uh, thoughts and emotions that uh, that it wasn't just strung around by a uh, plot or a script or something like that and I think that's the real um that's the real sort of uh, draw to these sort of, uh, uh, I guess, limited uh, limited series rather than long form series. Yeah, I didn't realize that uh, that he made uh, Dr. Sleep uh, by Plannigan. And I have to admit, when I first saw it, I was disappointed. But I watched it again, and, mm -hmm. and I watched it two times after. And pretty much, I, 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 I love it. And I just found out that I didn't realize the whole time that Mike Blank was part of that. So I would also add that to uh, my recommendation. Like I said, I was like you when I first saw it, I did uh, appreciate as much as I did when I watched the second and third time. I, I'm actually going to watch it again very soon. So, oh. And I even watched the director's cut. So um, I know you, know, you have an issue with the runtime, but pretty much it's like uh, I'm going to put that up there as a hit for uh, Mike Flanagan. He doesn't have too many misses, but uh, he, you know he's like one of the hot uh, uh, directors out there right now. So in terms of horror, so that makes three of us. I felt the same way about Doctor Sleep, <laughs> um, and I almost wonder if. Maybe it's just too much of a stretch, but because he has been doing some of this uh, long form, of course, this is before uh, we're talking about Midnight Mass, but I'm not sure where it fits into the sequence of um, Hill House and Blind Manor, but maybe he's accustomed to that rhythm of Hill House because I think it, it had Hill House pacing at times for Dr. Sleep, but not, you know, seven hours to, to get it done. So he has to kind of rush to get it done toward the end. It's almost like uh, the pacing, I think, early on was was an issue for me for that. That's probably the, the biggest uh, problem 
um, that I see that, that from my interpretation is uh, initial pacing. And I think that maybe he was on, on the rhythm of a, a series when it's really a two hour movie or should be at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, but maybe I'll give Dr. Sleep another watch. Maybe I'll give the director's cut a, a watch. I mean, I don't know if it, how much longer the, uh, he, he spends with, uh, the characters, but yeah, that's definitely the, that was definitely my feel of it, at least the last time I watched it. As always, thank you for queuing us up in your daily playlists. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion. This great show to watch for the haunting season. We have one more October listening in store as we cover the recent Halloween series, right in time for All Hallows' Eve. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. You can support this podcast and the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I at our virtual screenwriters forums by RSVPing either on meetup.com and or Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our forum recordings and other videos. Links are in the description. We wish you all the best in your writing and other life's pursuits. Get vaxxed, stay masked, and be safe out there.